Welcome to Maximal Being, a podcast devoted to ditching fad diets and using real science to get you healthy and feeling great. I'm Doc Mock, a GI and functional medicine doctor who harnesses the power of gut health to get you achieving your goals. And I'm Jackie P, a well-informed layman who challenges the experts and asks the questions that you want. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button or leave a comment. And now, on to the show. Hello, 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 Maximal Beans. It is I, Jackie P, and your favorite GI expert, Doc Mock. And we're here sitting with Dr. G. Uh, Today's topic is, I think, something I find extremely important. I think everyone should. And very interesting. We're going to talk about sleep, people. All right? So pay attention, because I know everyone out there is probably not sleeping the way they should be or could be. Uh, so everyone knows me. I'm Jackie P, your favorite layman. I'm here to keep these experts down on earth. No jargon. I'll call the flag if I need to. Um, and, uh, you know, keep asking questions until they get tired of answering them. And uh, Doc Mock? What's going on, Maximal Beings? Doc Mock here. I'm a gastroenterologist, board certified. Uh, also, I'm a functional medicine practitioner. So both sides of medicine. If you want to go ahead and listen to podcast number three, we did touch on sleep a little bit, but I am so excited to have our special guest today. I remember meeting Dr. G many, many moons ago. It was on his interview day at the hospital that you know I was a trainee at. And I remember sitting down and being like, this guy is going to go somewhere in life. And it's so exciting to see where he is now. He's an expert in the field, and I can't wait to hear what he has to uh, say about this topic that I think is vital to any one of your health or wellness goals. So without further ado, joining us today is Dr. G. Thank you. Thank you both, Doc Muck and Jackie, for having me. Uh, it's my first podcast podcast experience, so I look forward to it. Um, so shoot away with questions. I hope I can answer them You know, to your satisfaction. We'll see. Sure. Uh, first, uh, Dr. G, if I may, can you tell uh, the people listening a little bit about, you know, your experience of back? You don't have to go into, you know, specifics, but, you know, how long yeah, sure. you've been practicing? Sure, sure. So, I, you know, I did my um, medical school, school training at the Edward V.I. Virginia College of Osteopathic Medicine. I went to Cooper University for my internal medicine training. Um, afterwards, I worked as a hospitalist for several years. After that, I decided to uh, pursue sleep medicine after seeing patients in the hospital and what ramifications they had. So then I did my fellowship training at JFK Neurosciences um, in New Jersey. After I graduated, I moved to California and uh, work in private practice in the Bay Area. And I still do that to this day. And I also work as a hospitalist on my days off to keep my internal medicine skills still good. Cool, cool. I'm gonna ask you a question that's unrelated. What's a, yeah. a hospitalist? Hospital. So a hospitalist is so you have like a internal medicine doctor. So you have an outpatient internal medicine doctor, and then you have one that just works in the hospital. So the ones that work in the hospital are just hospitalists. So I never see patients outside the hospital for internal medicine stuff. I just see them in the hospital. Gotcha. Good to know. All right, I didn't know that was a term. You learn everything, yeah. something new every day. Paleo, keto, vegan, and carnivore. Maybe you've tried them all. But did you have success? Are you still doing that diet? Turns out there's not just one diet right for one particular person. 
By understanding how your body works and the relationship behind your body's workings and these diets, you can then approach the perfect plan for you. In the Perfect Human Diet course, we talk to you about your body's inner workings and the pros and cons of each plan. We discuss how our ancestors ate and have eaten and lay a framework to tailoring a plan that is perfect for you. To learn more about the Perfect Human Diet course, head to MaximalBeing.com courses to find out more. And as always, I'm Doc Mock, and I'm here to maximize your health. You cannot supplement your way to health, but there are things that we need to add to our lives that can maximize our pathway to wellness. The American diet is virtually devoid of omega-3 fatty acids, which play a major role in cardiovascular disease, gut permeability, and mental health. Personally, I take omega-3s every night, and iHerb is the best place for clean, natural sources of supplements. I love the ZenWise Omega-3 Fatty Acid Supplement, which is free of fish burps and good for the environment. Head on over to MaximalBeing.com slash iHerb, that's I-H-E-R-B, and enter the code B as in boy, D as in dog, B as in boy, 5528, and receive 10% off your orders for all supplements. Maximize your supplements with iHerb. All right, first question, very general, but I Mm -hmm. think it's important to kind of, you know, get everyone on the same page. Sleep, all right? Can you just explain like you know what actually happens like what does your body like doing when you when you actually go to sleep so when you go to sleep your body it's just rest it's rest for your brain it's rest for your muscles it's rest for your cardiovascular system it's rest for your intestinal organs your kidneys every organ system gets rest which it needs to regenerate you know the interestingly nobody really knows what sleep is they're still doing a lot of research like there's no conclusive to say this is exactly what it does. They're still looking into it, but that's the general idea that we have of what sleep does for you, for us. Interesting. And and you 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 said that it's it's rest for your organs and for your muscles. And for so your brain. Our, and for your brain. So so when someone is sleep deprived, it is not necessarily just something that's like in their brain. They're not just tired. Oh no. It's it affects your body whether you know it or not. Yes. Yeah. It might, you not might feel it. You know, some people, their, um, their bodies are really strong. They don't really feel the ramifications of sleep deprivation for like days, weeks, years. Some, some people can go that long, but when it hits you, it hits you really hard. It's very detrimental to your body. People don't usually change until something hits them like that. And then they realize, oh, I should have been sleeping better because they could have prevented this. Okay. And okay. So I, I heard a story. This just reminded me of something. You said people okay. last days, weeks, right? I, I used to work at this place down in sunny Florida. And the guy who used to run it, he ran it almost like a factory, the place he used to work. And he said, make sure everyone is bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Don't stay up late. Because every time you stay up late, I forgot what his number, magic number was. It's called eight hours. It was like putting a brick in your book bag. And every day, if you keep sleeping late, it's like putting a brick in your book bag until one day that book bag is too heavy. Two-part question. Was he making that up? Is there is that true scientifically? <laughs> two. And two, um, if that is somewhat true, is there a way to take those bricks off, right? Like napping or just, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like 
sleep deprivation, there's like the cardiovascular versus the neurological benefits. So neuro, the neuroplasticity that you have in your brain, that once, if you don't sleep enough, you tend to lose it. You can't gain that back. I mean, cardiovascular, if you do make up for naps during the day, there is some benefit to that. But ideally, you want to be very consistent and get the good number of hours every night. There's nothing that's going to be superior to that. Like catch up sleep, there really, I mean, there you can catch up a little bit, but you really can't catch up what you lost. You can't make up for the neuroplasticity at all. So all, all those years of training that we did where we were yeah. working 80 hours, we, we yeah, did it's, damage, didn't we? It's not good. And, you know, ironically, you know, it's not just us in the medical field, but like kids in America, they have the same issue. When you're an adolescent, your body's circadian rhythm changes. In Europe, they've adjusted to that lifestyle and that pattern. They start school later. In America, we still don't do that. I know there are certain states pushing for that, you know, because everybody needs the right amount of sleep and your circadian rhythm changes a little bit during your lifetime. Well, that's, that's, that's interesting. Um, so you say different ages, the different age stages of life, you need different sleep, right? Like, does that right, ever like change? Cycles. So like, you know, when you're a baby, you sleep a lot. Obviously, yeah. when you get older, you get less, you go less sleep. But for some reason, we don't know why this is just a natural occurrence. In your adolescent years, when you're like, you know, late middle school to high school, you tend to stay up late. If I'm not sure if you call, but you just couldn't fall asleep like at the earlier times you could when you were younger. That's because your body got delayed as far as your sleep pattern. So instead of sleeping from like nine to six, you're now sleeping 11 to eight, but you have to wake up at five or six for school. So you're losing those several hours of sleep that you needed. And that's why kids are tired in school and they're falling asleep and they're not as alert or attentive or they might be acting out because they're just not getting this proper sleep that they needed. Well, that's, that's interesting to know. I guess, yeah, because one at one point, they just stop naps. They never wean yeah, off, yeah, right? They yeah. just like, say you're done. I think after kindergarten, you just like stop napping. Yeah, really? I mean, that's normal. You stop napping. That's, that's yeah, sure, you're supposed sure. to not, not nap after that. You're supposed to consolidate your sleep so you don't have that napping necessity for napping at that age. Perfect. And, and, and speaking of different sleep needs, right, uh, Doc Mock, I remember you were talking about uh, the different, uh, I guess, you could be like a bear or a wolf and all these different types of folks who have different types of uh, sleep needs. Can you kind of uh, dig into that a little bit? Yeah, this is one thing that we talk to a lot of our clients about because sleep is so central to any goal, right? If you just want to be healthier, if you have cardiovascular disease, if you have neurologic disease, if you have cancer, if you're just trying to recover from doing Olympic weightlifting, like I was just doing a few minutes ago, um, you need sleep and you yep. should prioritize sleep. It's like sleep and water. I think one and two, right? Um, there, not everybody requires the same timing of sleep, right? You touched on circadian rhythm and I want, I want to circle back to that in a minute. But there are people that fall into different sleep chronotypes, we call them. And there's a quiz that you can take by Dr. Sleep, which I did. And they ask you a bunch of questions based on your psychological profile. So, you know, are you productive in the morning? You're more productive as the day goes on. And based upon that, he'll determine whether or not you're one of four sleep chronotypes. So are you a bear, which most of you will be. That's people like me. We need a lot of sleep. We like to sleep in just a tiny bit. We're usually most productive in the earlier part of the day. And then we kind of go to bed earlier as well. There are lions. Those are the people that get up and are super productive in the morning and then just crash mid-afternoon. 
there are wolves. People like my friend Nader, uh, you know, shout out to Nader if he's listening out there. Um, but they wake up later on in the afternoon, early evening, they work throughout the night and then they fall asleep kind of early morning and they're productive during that time period. And then there are dolphins. Now, a lot of big CEOs and heads of Fortune 500 companies think that they're dolphins and really they're bears that just are not sleeping appropriately. <laughs> they're having all this bad gunk build up in their brain and then they turn into crazy people. And dolphins, just like the animal, are always alert. They sleep like two hours a night and then they can go about the rest of their day and feel fine. But jumping back to something that you said, Dr. G, what is a circadian rhythm? And how does this circadian rhythm change as we go from, you mentioned being kids, we require a lot, but as we get past that high school stage and sleep becomes a little less important or more difficult. So I'm, I'm going to, as you know, the interesting thing you said about dolphins, they always, you know, interesting, they half of their brain is always on no matter if they're, you know, if they're sleeping, one half is always on. So they're always alert just in case something happens, I guess. But it's an interesting feature that that's one of the four chronotypes that you mentioned. I'm not, I'm not familiar with all of them. So that's interesting to hear that. Um, but as far as sleep throughout your ages, you know, when you're younger, you need more sleep, your body's, your brain's still developing. When you're a newborn, you spend half your time in REM sleep and half the time in, in just what's called non-REM sleep. You don't even have stages when you're young. So, you know, your body's, your brain's organizing itself. It's developing. The years keep on going on and your sleep, you know, I'm just going to be very simple. Your sleep is a lot more when you're younger, when you're a baby. And then as you get older, it diminishes. So like a five-year-old on average needs about 11 and a half hours of sleep. A 10-year-old will need 10 hours of sleep. And a 15-year-old will need about eight and a half to nine and a half hours of sleep. So as you get older, it kind of diminished. But that's just the overall sleep amount that you need. That doesn't have to do per se with a circadian rhythm because babies, when they're born, they sleep during the day and wake up at night. So their their system is very mismatched. And that usually corrects a little bit. And it's normal after a certain age group. And then it kind of adjusts. And then you became what you, you, then you become what you normally are throughout the rest of your life. That's usually how it, how it progresses. Yeah, that's 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 interesting. And, and when you say that, right, you said a, a teenager might need eight and a half, nine and a half hours. And, you know, I'm sh I'm sure a, 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 a grown 34 year old adult male might need what, eight, seven and a half, eight hours. I, I always tell patients, you know, seven and a half to eight, if they can get that, that's great. Not just laying in bed for seven and a half, eight hours. <laughs> Anybody can do that. It's getting good sleep of seven and a half to eight hours. That means, you know, getting winding down getting into bed, going to sleep, getting your sleep, waking up and getting out of bed. Okay. So you want to have as much REM, right? You, you said that before, right? Um, can you explain what that is a, a little bit? So there's four stages of sleep. You have N1, your non-REM and then REM. So the non-REMs are N1, N2, N3, and then you have your REM. The deeper stages, you know, N3 and REM is what you want to get. Um, is there a way to increase REM sleep? Well, that's interesting topic. I'm not sure if there's an actual way to increase it except just sleeping properly. You can be sleep when you're sleep deprived, you'll make up with more REM a little bit and you'll get REM like your early onset REM will occur. You'll get REM earlier on in your sleep and it'll be a lot longer than it would be normally. So your body was going to is going to try to get that extra REM if it can. But that only happens if you're sleep deprived. If you're very consistent, your REM should be pretty consistent, be the same range. And REM periods for the average human starts about 90 to 120 minutes after they fall asleep. 
Okay. And um, you said till after they fall asleep. And, and so let's say I, I am a 34 year old male, right? Uh-huh. That's who I am. Um, I think I sleep okay, but maybe I can sleep better, right? Yes. Um, the, the market is flooded with all types of uh, NyQuil makes like uh, now just medicine. I know, yeah. Being, right. And then people talk about, you know, there's uh, supplements and, right. So first, overarching, right? I know there are different types like you get in your food, but let's say I started using the NyQuil, the, the sleeping version of NyQuil. I'm not too yeah. sure if it's called yeah. NyQuil. Yeah. Um, is there is there any danger in using something that helps you sleep better? Like, is it going to be artificial? Will you become, I mean, I know certain substances may become dependent or not, but um, is there such thing as like artificial sleep, right? If you take a sleeping pill, it knocks yourself out and you go to, you know, you go to bed. Right. So insomnia, that's what we're talking about here. You got to, you want to break that up to acute versus chronic. Most people are acute insomniacs. That means they have some type of stress in their life that's causing them to have issues sleeping, work, you know, whatever is going around their life, around their life, that's what's causing their insomnia or they have very bad sleep habits. You know, chronic is usually lasting more than three months. That's how you differentiate. I always tell my patients, if it's an acute issue, then it's okay to take a medication for a couple of weeks. After four weeks, you really don't want to be on medications. You want to do more natural things or kind of get, you know, sleep hygiene in order or whatever's causing that stress in your life to kind of fix that and deal with that rather than being on medications for the long term. Because, you know, these long term medications, your body becomes dependent to them and they do kind of change the architecture of your brain. You get, you know, like you will not be able to fall asleep unless you take that medication. It just, it's like a very dependency that you get, your brain develops and it's, you know, you get rebound insomnia to some of these agents. And that's just something that it's very hard and hard on your body. And it's even more frustrating than when you first had in the insomnia issues. So my personal take is I would, if I, I don't personally myself would never take sleep aids for more than four weeks. Okay. More than four weeks. Okay. And then of, of course, right. We, we always have to say it's actually consult your doctor and yes. your medical professional. Okay. Yes, <laughs> Everyone yes. listening, right. You always have to un- encompass that right before doctor. Right. Cause there could be other health in, the other health conditions that be, could be going on that might be causing your issues. So you have to investigate those just in case something happened acutely. Cause I, I see a lot of patients who have strokes and if they mm-hmm. had a stroke, that's going to alter your circadian rhythm and you're going to have some insomnia issues. So we'll tackle that one way or the other. Okay. Based on your, you know, training specialization in sleep medicine, I mean, when you place people on these bridge medicines, or even if they have an anxiety disorder that's existing and somebody gives them a benzodiazepine, something that like kind of relaxes them. Yeah. Yeah. Do they get that quality non-REM stage three and REM that they need? So benzodiazepines are going to increase your stage N2 sleep. So they will lower your REM and N3 a little bit. So you won't get as much. But, you know, there's an interesting, you know, um, condition where people think that they didn't sleep at all, but they slept great if you look at their EEG. And they have people that, you know, say that they slept great and their EEG looks terrible. So there is this like... Um, you know, phenomenon where people, there's perception of sleep is a, is a major indicator of how well they think they slept, which is interesting. Yeah. What about 
inducing other substances. Like, you know, some people say I take a nightcap because it makes me feel nice and calm and I sleep yeah. so great. Or right. they take CBD products. And we're right. not so, pro or anti CBD no, no. here, but, you know, thoughts on you know, those two substances. So nightcaps, yes, they're going to relax you. You're going to probably fall asleep quicker, reduce your sleep onset. You're probably going to lack REM sleep in the first half of the night. You'll get some rebound in the second half of the night, but your first half is so fragmented as far as your sleep quality, your heart's going to go up and down, up and down. It's going to be tacky, Brady. It's going to be fast and slow, fast and slow. You're going to have a very erratic rest and it's not very good. You know, I, I'm surprised that people who can do this long-term and feel like they feel, they feel great. But I, I know if I drink a little bit of alcohol, I will not have a great night's sleep. It just doesn't, it really affects your quality of sleep in general. As far as CBD goes, um, you know, the data show, like CBD is a very, it's usually people who have anxiety, it works really well for them and it helps them sleep better. They feel better. I'm not sure what the data shows as far as EEG, you know, quality. I think they're looking into that to see what happens. I know if you take THC products that your REM is actually reduced, uh, which is interesting. So you like your diminish your REM if you say take a THC product. Now, if with CBD, I think they're still looking into it. I just don't know the answer to that one. But I know a lot of people, the magic numbers seems to be like CBD melatonin combinations work really well for patients. That's a, uh, that, that, uh, melatonin that's, that's one. Cause I've, I've taken melatonin before and, you know, yeah. here and there, would you cat, would you categorize melatonin as something that more acute, or is that something that you can take it like every day, like a vitamin before bed? It's like a bedtime vitamin. Yeah. So, you know, honestly, you, have, you want to figure out what's causing your issues because you shouldn't mm-hmm. need to be on medications less than mm-hmm. you know, real true insomniac people start at age six months. So if you just started later on, we, we might want to figure out what's going on in your life or trigger that caused it. Is melatonin safe? It's safer than the other agents out there. Yeah. If I were to pick on, on a medication to be on there for a while, it would probably be melatonin. The only caveat with that is it's not regulated. So you don't exactly know what you're getting. I know when I was in training, there was a study out there saying that, you know, 70% of the stuff that you get is not what it is in, in the melatonin product or or over-the-counter products. It could be something else. They can put serotonin in there. It could be filler. It could be melatonin or it can be the wrong ratios. You never know what you're truly getting, but at the end of the day, it's still a safer agent, in my opinion, um, to take. Yeah, I think I think we stress that time and time again, that if you are taking any sort of nutraceutical supplement, nootropic, that to make sure that you check who makes it, where yeah. they get the stuff that goes in there and what is actually in the pill. Cause there are a lot of bad products on your conventional yeah. bulk shopping companies, uh, which will, yeah. And ironically, you know, I've, I've seen patients have reactions to over the counter melatonin. It's like they've either, they had an allergic reaction. We don't know what it was from, or they have some injuries to their organs that they've developed. So, you never and I also, know. I also think start low and go slow. Yes. Right. A lot yes. of, I've heard a lot of people are like, I don't like taking melatonin because I'm no. out the next day. And then they're taking 10 milligrams. Yeah. I don't understand. This is a new trend. I'm saying people are popping 10 to 20 milligrams of melatonin yeah. a day. And I'm like, that's too high. You don't need that much. It's just like, and they're, they're branding them that way. Like if you go to Costco or something or, or Walmart, whatever they're in 10 milligram tablets, it's, that's a really high dose. And, and I would also say with, with any sort of supplement like that, um, they're not terribly regulated as well. So um, I, 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 myself, I've always been a fan of eating it naturally, right? If you, if you can get something naturally in your food. So um, I know there were some studies, Doc Mock, that we talked about uh, 
that, uh, you know, they research, right? And the, the first one that everyone knows, right? Turkey Day, right? Tryptophan. Tryptophan, yes. Right? <laughs> so, um, Dr. G, you know, you know where, what, where, where are you with uh, tryptophan? Do you feel like it's something that you should just eat naturally in your foods? Um, you know, do you, do you, do you, because I, I do know that it is something that um, a lot of folks thinks that it's all in Turkey, right? Well, it's actually in a lot of things, right? So uh, in, in your practice, you know, do you usually direct your patients with like a, like a dietary based instruction with how to help promote healthy sleep? Yeah. So in terms of diet, I think that we overemphasize the role of tryptophan in formation of melatonin, both diet. And I think I'll leave that up to Dr. G to discuss how tryptophan, which is an amino acid, right? A building block of protein, the turkey turns into melatonin through a biochemical pathway. I think a lot of people feel tired after the Thanksgiving meal. And we actually wrote a blog post on this because number one, they're drinking alcohol, which is a sedative, yep. maybe taking some CBD products, but they also have an extremely high, simple carbohydrate meal. They get a rapid spike in insulin and then subsequently their glucose levels will drop. And so they not only have that kind of hyperglycemia, which has effects on your neurochemistry more so than just a small dose of amino acid, um, than the tryptophan itself. And that, that has actually been researched. It, it has to do more with the carbohydrate intake around mm. Thanksgiving. Um, as far as does taking tryptophan as an amino acid supplement, does that correlate with benefiting sleep? Well, we did actually pull some studies here for the podcast today, and it turns out that the data does not necessarily suggest that taking amino acid supplement with tryptophan specifically will help with sleep. And now, also, oh, go ahead. Say something on that. So tryptophan, we do give in children as like last case, if it's a natural product, you know, we don't have to worry about side effects. We don't like to put kids on medication. So sometimes we will give in the pediatric population, some tryptophan supplements and see if it works for them. I think there are also other amino acids that have the reverse effect. So if you're taking, say, an essential amino acid bundle, a branch chain amino acid bundle, or just a protein supplement that has things like that in it, tryptophan, you'll also get other products like tyrosine, which have an effect on turning, making things like adrenaline, which will have the opposite yeah, which, effect on your sleep. So, so I think it's kind of where you are on, on the spectrum of sleep disorder and why you're having that sleep disorder. But I, but I think that going with the end product is better. And it's interesting that you say that about the amino acids like tyrosine, because, you know, a lot of people will say, I drink, I can drink a pot of coffee right before bed and fall asleep, which is true. Some people are just not as sensitive to caffeine, which affects adenosine receptors. But it, we do know that people who do that, their stage N3 sleep is diminished. And you don't want to do that because your stage N3 sleep is where your body heals and a lot of your amyloid plaques, they get removed. So you're like, you might not, you know, you can drink it. Like I said, slowly you can drink, you can do it every, all the time. Drink it, drink it, drink it. It'll catch up to you one day and you can't reverse it, unfortunately. You, you touched on two really interesting things in that statement. And um, you mentioned adenosine. So we typically think of melatonin as the only in, like kind of on off switch for sleep. What is the role of adenosine in sleep and how does caffeine change adenosine? Um, so, you know, when you, caffeine is the main product and, 
and coffee or Coca-Cola stimulant wise, you know, people are pushing pills these days at caffeine. Adenosine is a sleep regulator. It helps you, you know, fall asleep, makes you sleepy, drowsy. So you get proper sleep that way. So there's a bunch of neurotransmitters involved in sleep. And well, that's just one of them. When you block it, you know, that's when you get the heightenedness that you get from the caffeine stimulation during the daytime. And like I said, some people don't get it. So if you block the identity, just there, the data shows that you'd reduce stage N3 sleep is what we're seeing. So one part of your sleep cycle is pretty much diminished, which you don't want to do. And that can happen with adenosine if you block it for like up to six to 12 hours. You some, you know, if you're very sensitive to everybody has a different sensitivity, um, but some people, you know, want to avoid it for 12 hours. So that receptor isn't blocked for too long. Yeah. It's, it's really like kind of an interesting effect of caffeine. You have yeah. like the adenosine lock that's floating around and adenosine fits into it. That's your key, but caffeine also has a key to your yeah. adenosine lock. Right and so you block it. Yeah, you block it. It's kind of such an interesting analog. Um, yeah. Back to you, Jack P. You know, it's, it's, you know, we just talked about tryptophan, right? We just talked about all these things that help us sleep or may block you from sleeping. So um, Doc Mock, you know, you pulled some research on studies from like different dietary supplements that sometimes I think for myself, being a layman, didn't think that any of these supplements really promoted sleep or help sleep. Um, so, um, you know, what, uh, what, what did those show, studies show us and, and which were supplements that might help potentially increase our sleep quality? I think that we usually talk about one of our main heroes, which is our omega-3. But, you know, I, I would say <laughs> the other huge hero in the supplement world is magnesium. And most of you out there, actually, they've found two out of every 10 Americans in very conservative studies and as high as six out of every 10 Americans are deficient in magnesium. The reason being most people don't eat enough vegetables, which is a great source of magnesium and our farming practices through nitrogen based fertilizers and through topsoil erosion lead to a relative nutrient deficiency, even in the good foods that we cultivate from the earth. And so both zinc and magnesium are vital to relaxing our bodies. And we see this across almost every organ system with the exception of the gut, right? Um, magnesium will is vital to neurologic uh, relaxation, to cardiovascular relaxation, and to muscle relaxation. And so I use both magnesium and zinc in a dropper format every morning in my first glass of water to get a little bit of a dose of it. And I take magnesium after I work out for, uh, there's great evidence to show it prevents prolonged uh, delayed onset muscle soreness or DOMS, that kind of burn that you get after you work out. But it also improves sleep, which is important for recovering from exercise. And it is really tough to get that in the standard American diet. Thoughts on that, Dr. G? No, I agree. Um, magnesium, very important to relax your body to help you fall asleep. You know, I tell patients who are more oriented to fixing everything through diet, not supplements, eat more legumes, dark leafy vegetables, almonds, cashews, whole grains, they have more magnesium than the other products that they eat. So definitely a natural way to tackle, you know, issues with relaxation that you might be having or anxiety. Sometimes it can relax you enough where your anxiety goes away. So I totally agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing to be aware of is me putting my GI hat on for a second is that we use magnesium as a bowel preparation before yeah. colonoscopy. <laughs> so if you take too much, 
you will be running to the toilet the following yes. day. Yes. So I I always tell my patients the side effects of extra magnesium is diarrhea, nausea, and vomiting. So don't you want you don't want to do it too much. If you're having those symptoms, you might want to pull back a little bit. You'll figure out your ideal dose yeah. one way or another. Back yes. to you, Jackie P. Yeah, but I guess back to the you know what you said a few minutes ago, right? Start small, small dose, mm-hmm. and then increase. Yes. Um, and I would also like to add that drop he puts in his waters before he has coffee, right, Doc Mock? Yeah, exactly. I, I think starting every single morning, prime the pump, get some hydration in there, and and add some trace minerals. It doesn't affect your intermittent fasting. You can still stay in ketosis if you're on a ketogenic diet. It, it's really good way to start the morning. Awesome. So, Doctor G. So, let's say you have a patient. They came in. They're having you know an an acute uh, sleep deprivation issue, right? Um, so I know I'm sure in the hospital you have uh, a way to measure sleep, um, right? Uh, I've seen it before. It's all the things that stick out of your head, right? Can you explain yeah. what you use uh, to help measure s- sleep? Yeah. So for to measure the sleep quality, if we do an in-lab study or a polysomnogram, we look at your brain waves and that's through an EEG. And that by analyzing that you have the whole night, we have like eight hours, 10 hours, however long you're sleeping in bed, we can figure out when you're awake, when you're asleep, what stage of sleeping you have and your sleep efficiency. So basically your sleep efficiency is how much actual sleep you have over how much time you are in bed. So that's how much, how we calculate how well you sleep, but you have to have an EEG to determine that. That's the only, that's the gold standard way of knowing how much sleep you've actually had or at that, or during that night period. And, and, and what does E EEG? Was that EEG? Yeah. Electroencephalogram. Electroencephalogram. Yeah. Okay. So you have all these electrodes all over the different parts of your brain to capture the different brain waves that are emitted. Okay. And, um, and you know, so that's the best way, right? And I know everyone listening doesn't just have an EEG EEG machine in their basement. (laughs) They feel like they're a little jet lag. So let's, let's talk, let's switch gears about and, and talk about tracking progress, right? Let's talk about like sleep trackers. Um, uh, Dr. G, do you specifically recommend, I mean, I know, you know, we don't want to get into brands or anything, but do you recommend to your patients to use sleep trackers at least? So I I tell them this, it all depends on your age. Back in the day when these things first came out in the early, like 2010, the 2010, 2012s, the, the data behind it was very poor. I know that in my fellowship, they actually did a study, compared it to an in lab polysomnogram where we mounted your brain waves to these devices that people can buy online. The correlation was absolutely poor. So there was no validity for that, you know, sleep efficiency that you had. Nowadays, technology is getting much better. They're able to better correlate what stage of sleep you've had without using, you know, an EEG. They have proprietary technology that kind of can estimate what stage of sleep you're in. And that's how they determine what stages you have and how how effective your sleep efficiency was um, or how well your sleep efficiency was, sorry. I do recommend certain ones nowadays, you know, the aura ring is pretty big and popular out there. And the fact that athletes are using it, different brands like NBA, the NFL are using it to track their um, player sleep. I think, you know, that's the one that I, I kind of see a lot of people using more, 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 um, but Fitbits, you know, some of them are people use it. It seems to be effective. I had some patients actually wore their Fitbit during their study to see how effective it was. And it was pretty close. I also just want to um, 
outline what those sleep trackers usually do track, right? So they don't have any measurement of your neuro electro electrical activity. They're tracking usually heart rate variability, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're, they're track tracking your pulse oximetry. Yes. And then movement. And so they utilize those three things as surrogate markers for what stage of sleep you may be in. Cause there are certain changes that occur depending your sleep with your heart rate and your yes. temperature and your yes. pulse socks. I would definitely let Dr. G watch me sleep. Have been having been somebody that probably slept in the same room with him during training, but can you also just walk through with the listeners, what it's like to enter a sleep lab and what's involved? I mean, are you just kind of peeking through the window at them all night or, uh, you know, so what, like, what, yeah. what goes on? So fair enough. Uh, you know, you come into our sleep lab. Usually it's a nice, quiet environment. We Most places set up like a hotel room. So you, you have a TV there to relax you, a bed. What happens when you get there, we let you sit down, get comfortable in your room. A technician comes in at nighttime. They will set you up with all the monitoring. That's the EEG, the monitoring your brain waves. The EMG, the monitors your muscle movements. We also use a pulse ox to monitor your oxygen levels, a monitor on your heart to see that, and as well as belts on your chest and your abdomen to see what movements you're having at nighttime. So it's a very thorough test, nothing invasive, all just electrodes that go on your skin. So the technician will come in, they'll set you up, they'll prep you for that. That whole process can take almost 45 minutes, you know, to set you up head to toe. Once you're set up, we let you relax. The technician leaves a the room. They go to a different room and everybody's monitored with a camera in the room. So the technician can see what's actually going on in, in your sleep or any movements that are going on. And there's multiple reasons why we have to have a camera. One is that, you know, patients might be having a seizure and we have to see it, visualize it so we can see what's going on and correlate it to an EEG. They might be having some movements like REM behavior disorders where they're acting out their dreams. So we want to capture what's actually going on in their, in their sleep versus what we're seeing with our monitoring. So that's usually what happens throughout the course of the night. The, the technician will be there. They'll interrupt, they'll intervene if they see something. Most of the time, they don't intervene. They just let you sleep the whole night. They will look at the data, see what's going on, make some notes, see if there's any abnormalities. Um, and then the morning when you wake up, they'll usually come in and wake you up to tell you this test is over unless you've woken up yourself. And then they'll take all the electrodes off, they'll clean you up, and then you're able to go home. That's usually what happens. In the rare case, we do give some patients some sleeping medicines because they're not comfortable and being in an environment that's not their own. And so for those patients, we usually have a, a significant other or a family member or friend take them home so there's no issues when they leave um, the, the facility. Interesting. That's I, That sounds... Uh... I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it looks like a regular room or are you like sitting yeah. in the hospital bed or is it, like, does it look so, like someone's guest room? Yeah. So a lot of like a lot of the sleep labs, unfortunately, are in hospitals. So it doesn't look like hospital beds, but you get the feel of a hospital. Now, there are private practices that have their own private rooms. They're affiliated with their um, their offices. So there's a little bit of a different sense over there versus a, you know, uh, a lab that you go to at a hospital. A lot of university, the centers that train you at universities, um, they have the in-hospital setting where you're actually walk into the hospital and you go to a different part of the hospital that has the lab. So you will get that hospital feel in those, in those type of sleep. The hospital vibes, the hospital vibes. Hospital smells. vibes. Yes. Yes. Smells too. Hospital yeah. smells. Are yeah. Like it's yeah. just different. I'm not, Doc Mock, I'm not, I'm pretty sure you recall when we, when we were overnight shifts at our institutions, when we sleep there, you know, it's supposed to be a nice, comfortable room, but it's still you're in the hospital. You can sense that it's just not the same. Uh, the pillow was basically like a piece of cardboard. And so was the mattress. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And Terrible. you know what? 
if there's like uh, something going on in the announcement over the PA system, you'll hear it sometimes, you know, so yeah. it doesn't interfere a little bit. And you're getting paid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, listen, uh, Maximal Beans, we're going to take a quick break to commercial. We've been speaking with Dr. G about sleep and help maximizing your sleep regimen. I will be back after this short message. What's going on, Maximal Beans? It's Doc Mock here. Many of you are returning to the gym now, but some are not going back. Regardless of what you plan, Rogue has got the right gear to fit your needs. I personally own a barbell set and love it. The black op shorts are sweat resistant and flexible for getting deep in your squats. Head on over to MaximalBeing.com Rogue for our referral link. Order three items and they ship for free. And as usual, it's Doc Mock. And I'm here to maximize your pathway to wellness. If you're stuck at home and cannot make it to the grocery store, delivery may be the best way to stay clean and healthy. Instacart is the national leader in the direct-to-home delivery service. With numerous major chains and food from smaller stores, you can get those local veggies sent directly to your doorstep. Head on over to MaximalBeing.com Instacart and maximize your nutrition today. Welcome back, everyone. It's, it is I, Jackie P., your layman, and Doc Mock, the calf muscle monster of the Midwest, and of course, Dr. G. And uh, we're talking about sleeping, and I have a lot of questions I couldn't wedge into anything we talked about. So are, are you ready, Dr. G, for rapid fire questions? All right. I'll do my best. Fire away. Okay. okay so the first, right? So I remember earlier you mentioned that some people think they slept terribly and they looked at the, uh, you know, they looked at the test and, you know, by all statistical purposes, they, they got good sleep, quote unquote. Right. Yeah. Um, how much does, or, or maybe this, this might be just like, a, I guess a philosophical theoretical, how much does mentality play into that? Cause I feel like I sleep like, I mean, I put my head down anywhere. I'm out. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. And so that, that condition is called sleep state misperception. Very simple, straightforward. You just, there's a misperception about the sleep quality. And it's very interesting. You know, I have a couple of patients who believe they did not sleep at all. And so we've had them buy these, you know, over-the-counter sleep trackers to see what their quality of sleep was. They will tell me, you know, I didn't sleep that great. But when I see that number pop up as your sleep efficiency was 90%, I second guess it. It makes me think I slept great and I feel better. So it's kind of mm-hmm. interesting that some of these patients are telling me that stuff, you know, it's, so we'll see what it, you know, long-term ramifications it has, it has, if they feel like they slept well, but we know that if I, if I already, I usually do a study to see what quality of sleep they have. If mm-hmm. my study says that they're sleeping well, and that can be validated with like the trackers at home. It just makes them feel better overall is what I've seen. And their mood gets better and they're more pleasant when they talk to you and they don't look as tired. So it's interesting. Interesting. Another question. Back to sleep trackers, right? So we know there's a, there's a ton out there. They're getting better with technology, right? Um, what what would you advise someone who's considering getting a sleep tracker? Uh, you know, like for myself, right? I'm gonna go get a sleep tracker, right? You know, yeah. should we be just looking at these results with a grain of salt? Should we just use it to measure improvement, or you know, you know, take it away? Yeah. So I will give you this you know, our sleep changes as we age. So if you're at the younger age group, 20s, 30s, your sleep is very homogenous. 
I can kind of predict what sleep cycle you should have. And most of the patients have that sleep cycle. When you're older, it gets more erratic. You know, you have more health conditions, you're, you have more, more pain, you wake up more frequently. So these tracking devices are really, I think, in my opinion, they're much better for the younger population, but they're getting that way for the older population as well. Um, this is how I would say if, if a lot of people these days are data oriented, so they want that data to see how well they sleep. And if this, if, if I can reference or give you my recommendations, some, and if, if you get that and it helps you, then I'm all for it. At the end of the day, if it makes you feel better and there's no harm in doing it, I'm perfectly fine with that. And we can look at the results together. I always tell patients, bring your reports to me. We'll look at it and see what's going on and just look at it together with two sets of eyes. Okay. That's, that's a good answer. I have more, but I'm going to take a quick second to check in with Doc Mock. How are we doing sure. over there, Doc? <laughs> oh, we're doing good. The calf muscles are still big. The calf way. muscles are. I just wanted to, just wanted you to know that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've heard of the reverse though, where people don't have a sleep disorder proven by EEG. Yes. And then they track their sleep and they get so obsessed with the numbers that they get anxious yeah. and yeah. develop a sleep disorder. So I, I think it is. A, yeah. It's a catch twenty. It's like it, yeah, and it's it all depends on the individual. If I know somebody's going to be, you know, overly you know, like hooked on the numbers and be like, I analyze every little detail Then I'm a little cautious. And I tell them like, I'll look at their study together and we'll look at the EEG and I'll show them like, look, your sleep was really good. So don't stress about it too much. Let's try different relaxation techniques and see if they can help. Cause at the end of the day, we just want to relax you, get you a good quality sleep, which I already know you're pretty much doing, but let's just, you know, reassure you some way, whether that's talking it through, seeing you frequently, just encouraging you that everything's good. Keep on doing what you're doing. You know, that's sometimes better, but it's all individualized. It's definitely individualized to every person that you interview and meet. I would also encourage the listeners to go back and listen to our episode around December of 2020 on sleep trackers and activity trackers. We do kind of an exhaustive review of, you know, what they're good at, what they're not good at. Back to you, Jackie P. Okay. And I'm actually going to throw in uh, some our, our, our usual questions as well. Um, and I'm going to add more, but I'm going to layer it in there. Uh, so first question is, um, what is your favorite book? And it doesn't have to be sleep related. Just be, what is your favorite book? I'm a big Michael Crichton fan. So, you know, unfortunately he passed away, but I used to read all his books. You know, he's Jurassic Park, um, Sphere, uh, um, What's the other one? That's a timeline. So he's got a lot of these books that I used. To, I I love reading. I haven't had a chance to read them lately, but I hopefully will go back to reading them again because they just each time you read them, more and more information comes out, and it's just interesting what he does with the uh, with his storyline storytelling. As an aside, reading before bedtime much better than watching TV yes. before bedtime. Right? Turn it into and dark mode if you read under the. Box. Make sure if you're going to do that, you read not in your bed because you don't want to associate. You know, you're, you want to associate your mind for bed just for sleep. So if you're going to read, read in a dim light and read in a chair, you know, preferably in a different room. That's probably the best case. When you read in a dim light in a different room, when you're ready for bed, turn the light off, put the book down, go to your bed and fall asleep. That's probably the best. And it's a good way to relax. I, 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 you guys got ahead of me, but I was going to ask you to, <laughs> to, to outline, like, obviously in a perfect world, in your brain, the most optimal ready for bed, go to sleep routine. Like how, how far before should you eat all the way to, you know, 
sleep on your back with your arms on your side. I mean, that it, you know, I love that. So, <laughs> doctor, in a perfect, perfect world, Doctor G, right? Like I know get my yeah. pencil. I'm ready. Yeah, in a, in a know, it's it's yeah. everybody's everybody's individualized on that one because some people respond; they're more sensitive to food than others. Everybody has a different nighttime routine. You know, some patients of mine they have to have a bath or a shower right before to relax them to fall asleep. So sometimes that's their routine. Some of my other patients, you know, they they figured out like I have to avoid eating four hours prior to bedtime. And then I feel very rested and about to go to sleep. And I know I won't have any indigestion. I won't have any reflux. I won't have all these other symptoms that I'm worried about. And my sleep quality would be better. So a very tricky question. I always tell patients, you know, generally, I would like you to avoid, you know, food at least three hours prior to bedtime. And I want you to not exercise. If you're, if you have insomnia issues, if you exercise, you're going to release, you know, hormones that stimulate you, which is going to prevent you from falling asleep. So I tell those patients, if you are having a lot of, a lot of hard time falling asleep, let's push the exercise at least three to six hours before bedtime if possible. You know, it's going to be a range because not one thing fits everybody. And you, Doc Mock, you probably know what's best for you when you exercise and when it, when it interferes with your sleep and when it doesn't. Oh, yeah, I exercise optimally in the morning. I'm great the whole day. I'm super hungry the whole day. I get to eat, you know, like tons of calories. And yes. then before bedtime, I, I avoid any sort of blue light within one hour at least. I sleep 65 degrees or cooler, super yes. dark room. I read an e-reader in dark mode before I go to bed and then I go to sleep. Sometimes I take melatonin, um, especially during travel times. That's a good – you might you, – brought the point of temperature 65 degrees there's a nice range that people should follow 54 to 72 when you go outside those numbers your sleep gets really uh, fragmented and you don't want to go above that or below that so 65 is perfectly fine for you you're right in the middle so good job you figured that out <laughs> thank you dr mike left that. out he does about another thousand calf lifts <laughs> Hey, I, I have never done a calf exercise a day of my life. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> it's good genetics. Good genetics. It's all, it's all the mock calves. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> so, so let's let's review. So, temperature, cool temperature, right? You said sixty-five yeah. to seventy-two. Uh, right? Fifty-four no, to seventy-two is the fifty-four. Range. Sorry, seventy-two. Yeah. Um, no blue light, right? You try to limit yes. that as as little as possible. Yes. Um, and the caveat to that is not even like blue light glasses, although they, they probably do work pretty well. Just avoid it completely. You know, yeah. don't be on the computer with your glasses on or with the, you know, the, they have the different settings where you can change the color yeah. scheme. Just eliminate yeah. it. Yeah. Don't sit with your 18 inch iPad in, yeah. in your bed with your blue, blue light glasses on. Okay. <laughs> um, you mentioned also, you said something very interesting, which was, reading another room right making your room be the, the sleep dome make, sleep, make that room only for sleeping because you're something brain, else and yeah. something else too. <laughs> you know two things they both start with s yeah. but sleeping is what you want your brain to associate with that and that's it that it just so it doesn't get confused and knows that oh you know what let's take a baby i'm not sure you know when you have kids when you when they hit your shoulder, they know it's time to go to bed because they've gotten that routine programmed into them. You put their head onto your shoulder, they're going to fall asleep. Same thing with the bed association for an adult. When you go in there, once you're in that room, your body realizes, oh, that's the place where I need to go to sleep. You're probably going to fall asleep quicker, and you're probably your sleep efficiency is going to be better that way. 
when, when Jackie P and I fall asleep when we're yep. hanging out, I usually put my head on his shoulder too. Yeah, right? Okay, that's sure, exactly. Sure. What the, I'm a little but, spoon. I like to be a little spoon. Yeah. <laughs> but how, um, how can you lift up? How can you lift him up with those size calves that he has? Yeah, <laughs> yeah? they weigh you down. Yeah. That's right. Just just two bowling balls behind his kneecaps. Um, so and and you said something routine. Does routine play into you know having an efficient sleep pattern? It does because you know we have a twenty four hour system in the world where it's you know our clock our world clock is on a twenty four hour basis, but our circadian rhythm clock is not. It's twenty four point two hours. So to prevent any issues from having, you're always going to be phase delayed. That means you're going to sleep, you know, it's going to be pushed a little bit, a little bit every day because that point two, which doesn't align with the natural pattern of the, of the cycle, the light and the sun and the moon, basically. So in order to prevent any issues from that happening is that you want to wake up every morning at the same time and you want to have a very consistent wake up time. That is the, probably the most effective way to control your sleep. Okay. And uh, you, you mentioned something um, I, I, I'd also like, you know, if you don't mind, just in summary, right, the how much of an impact good sleep can actually make for you. You mentioned something about Golden State Warriors, and I'd like for you to repeat that because I think that's very interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. So like a lot of these athletic teams, you know, they realize that they if they improve their sleep quality, their players reaction time is going to be quicker and they're going to you know, be better at what they do because everything in the sports world is based on reaction time, whether that's throwing a football pass and catching it, you know, making a basketball shot, running around, doing whatever thing you need to do for that sport. Reaction time is very important. In order to have the best reaction time, you have to have the proper rest for your body so that can be, you know, I guess, maximized. And so in order to do that, you got to sleep very consistently. Don't have any interruptions. Don't smoke. No alcohol, nothing that can interfere with your sleep, make it worse. A lot of these players don't even take any supplements. They just have a regular pattern that they don't mess up. And that's very important for them to be performing at a high level. And I think a lot of, I mean, the Golden State Warriors, there's word on the street saying that they had a sleep doctor working through some of their players who were like night owls and basically reset their circadian rhythm. So they slept better. They ended up being more productive during the regular season and playoffs. And that's how they won championships. Wow. So see that sleeping doesn't only keep you, you know, neutral, but also can help you enhance yes. your functions. Yes. Cause if you, you know, for a regular person, you know, our quality of life, you know, is dependent on our work performance. We have to work, we have to perform well at work in order to succeed. And, you know, if you don't get that sleep or the lack of sleep or sleep deprivation, you're one, you're going to be moody. Your attention span is going to be less and your concentration ability is going to be less as well. So you're, you're impacting your career when you don't get proper sleep or even your social life. You might not be remembering things that you should have. You're more forgetful. You're more agitated with your friends and family members when you wouldn't be if you had gotten the proper sleep. Just like you're hangry when you don't eat a Snickers bar, which we don't, we shouldn't do anyway. You're hangry <laughs> if you don't get proper sleep. Boom. Yeah, that's 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 a good point. So, folks, make sure you get your sleep. Two questions I I completely forgot, Doctor G. I'll yes. make them quick. Your favorite exercise? I don't like one particular. I like playing sports, so I like playing basketball. I think that's a okay. great exercise. Gets your cardiovascular, um, you know, health going, your heart rate. I use all your muscles. You're running around, legs, everything. If I had the 
proper time, I would probably do basketball and then swimming as well. I think swimming is a great exercise. I had a fr friend that described basketball as the only sport that you can continue to do your entire life and get worse over time. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> that's, that's me right there. And uh, your, what is your um, crate, the craziest uh, diet you ever heard of or been on? Um, so, you know, I, I personally have a, a GI health condition myself, inflammatory bowel disease, and I used to uh, eat um, what's called a specific carbohydrate diet for it. And it was, you know, limit, finding foods that were specific for you so your intestines wouldn't get inflamed. And, you know, that's a diet. I've, I've, I'm not a big diet person, so that's the one I've done personally. And it had some good health, you know, uh, improvements in my quality of life. So I, I read it and I took, you know, took its advice and changed my diet around to make myself feel better. Yeah, and we, we talked about that diet on our podcast about inflammatory bowel disease with uh, Dr. Susan Case. So go back and listen to that one. Back to you. Listen, listeners, or Dr. G as well. Everyone yeah. should be listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, wonderful. Well, uh, Doc Mock, any other, uh, you know, I'm going to let you kind of wrap it up before we uh, close this one out. As always, it has been amazing to have our friends who are just amazing, prolific people in the field of medicine. Uh, I cannot be prouder enough to have seen uh, Dr. G in his journey through medicine, and now he's an expert in sleep, and it's such an important topic. It is central to athletic performance, recovery, psychological health and well-being, and hence mindfulness. Almost any health condition, cardiovascular disease, stroke, longevity, cancer, gastrointestinal yes. disease, Track it, you can track it at home with devices, but know the limitations of these technologies. If you want to formally know or are struggling with sleep, seek the help of a medical professional like Dr. G here. They can do an EEG and track your sleep in a proper way. Know the ways that you can interfere with your sleep, and that is through dietary timing, blue light, certain substances, improper sleep hygiene and waking up during different times during the day. And of course, there is an overlap with psychological conditions like anxiety and depression. Maximize your sleep hygiene with magnesium, with zinc, certain B vitamins, ensuring that you eat a proper clean diet, that you don't eat too close to bedtime. Sometimes try melatonin. And there are a few other nutraceuticals that you can try to assist with sleep. As always, I am humbled to be a part of, you know, your education throughout life, health and wellness. It is so wonderful to be here with Dr. G and with Jackie P. And as always, I'm Doc Mock here with Jackie P and Dr. G, and we are here to maximize your health. What's going on, Maximal Beings? Doc Mock here. If you haven't done so already, leave us a comment and hit the subscribe button. Let your friends and family know that way we can get the word out and continue to bash the bro science.